Welcome to the last and final Conduct Detrimental of 2022. It has been a long year full of sports law. We've seen a lot of new listeners join the show. Some joined us halfway through, some joined us toward the end. But what we've done, we've assembled a panel. We're going to start from left to right. Evan Mattel, we'll call him the chief editor of Conduct Detrimental. Stephanie Weisenberger, chief website. Yes, well, something like that. Website chief. Taryn Charma, the head of newsletter. And Mike Lawson, the head of production. So we've got like, it's like kind of like the sports law tribunal. We have all the heads here, all the heads of the families. And we're here to talk about the year that was. Everyone is here to give their what they think, at least, is the biggest story of 2022. Before we get into it, guys, how's it going? Good. Christmas season, Hanukkah season for those celebrating as well. I mean, how can you hate the holidays? It's good. A lot of good sports on NFL on Christmas now, which is a delight. I'm very excited for that to go along with the basketball. Yeah, it's it's just been a great sports month so far. And Christmas Eve games. So all good things. I guess we should say before we start, we've seen another big year for growth for Conic Detrimental. It is the second, Mike, when did we start the podcast with the, the three, me, you and Wallach? When was that era? July of 2020? July 2020, yeah. The next year of July of 2021, we started the website. Thank you, Steph. Taryn, you started the newsletter like a little bit after that, like September. Yep. And Evan, you took over responsibilities for OG Jason. When was that? It was like March. So listen, we're growing. We're still a young site. We're still making our way, but I'd love to see the growth. We have a lot of big things in store for 2023, but we are here to recap the year again that was in 2022. Reminder, our podcast is sponsored by Themis Bar Review. If you're getting ready to take the February bar, Themis has the hookup. Use our promo code CONDUCT. They were our first sponsor on the podcast, and uh, we've been with them for now a little bit over a year. So love the guy, love the team over at Themis. You know, they support our show here. Okay, so let's get right into it. We have uh, five people on this panel, uh, whoever wants to go first. The name of the game is you have to say what you think is the biggest sports law story of 2022. You got to recap it. And then in the recap, you have to kind of explain why you think this is the biggest story of 2022. So I guess maybe we'll do a little bit of a recap and then we'll open it up to the bench. So Evan, Stephanie, Taryn, Mike, any takers to go first? Yeah, I'm happy to go. Taryn, number one. Okay. What's, What's your choice for biggest sports law story of 2022? Well, it's arguably been the biggest story of the last two years in sports law, I think, uh, and it's name, image, and likeness. We went from the court battle over education-related benefits in Alston in 2021 to the NCAA kind of throwing their hands up and allowing through the interim policy that student-athletes could earn from their name, image, and likeness rights. And so this 2022 was really the first full cycle of the current state of NIL. So you've seen not only the biggest student athletes, the Paige Beckers of the world take advantage of deals like with Gatorade, and you've seen players like Bryce Young on your TVs every day of the week with Dr. Pepper. Every student athlete can at least, unless they're international students, take advantage of these uh, of these deals. And it's led to a an entire cycle of top tier College basketball talent coming back. Uh, You look at North Carolina, which made the national championship last year. A lot of their players deciding to come back rather than go and play in the G League or play in Europe like they would have done in another sense because they may not be a top tier NBA talent. And so I think that this has completely changed 
how recruiting is done, how teams are assembled year after year. And when you combine that with the transfer portal and how we've had big industries get involved, you look at United Wholesale Mortgage with Michigan State and, and Rocket Mortgage with their basketball program there. And then personally with the rise of, of these clinics and, and so being able to provide legal services pro bono to student athletes, I think that has completely changed it. And, and so you look at this. It's talked about like it's a billion dollar industry, right? College athletics. That's just the NCAA. The Department of Education believes that college athletics as a whole is like a 14 and a half billion dollar industry. That's huge. And so that's encompassing TV rights, the earnings by conferences, the earnings by the individual schools. Not just that, but front office sports reported that student athletes last year in 2021 going into this year could be expected to pocket as much as $1.5 billion in endorsements. That's huge. And so this is, again, you talk about the biggest athletes, the biggest name athletes taking advantage of this, but four out of five deals are for less than $100. And so this is something that every student athlete is thinking about. And this is a top of mind conversation when it comes to recruiting and when it comes to retention. And I think that we've just never seen anything like this. And the only way that this will be surpassed as the biggest story in sports law, in my opinion, is if we get a decision on Johnson B NCAA or something from the NLRB, which certifies employee status for student athletes. And once that happens, I think that the entire game has changed again. Yeah, Taryn, first of all, it's a great summary from what is an extremely extensive topic throughout the years. And I am somewhat inclined to agree with you. I will put forth my own position later. But uh, yeah, I think that NIL stuff reaches beyond just college athletes. It starts impacting other leagues. You mentioned briefly the G League. That had started to shift because athletes from high school would look and go, I can get paid to go play in the G League for a couple of years and then go up to the NBA and start making a salary rather than going to college and playing there. So I think that that had put some pressure on the NCAA. And then it's also an ongoing story. We saw Livy Dunn that me, Steph, and Dan had talked about a couple of weeks ago. And it's also not a national policy yet. It's a state-by-state -state thing. So we're going to continue to see this story as the months fold on. So I think that's a good one to throw out there, Taryn. I don't know, Taryn. I'll, I'll pick a nit here, right? Like, I think 2021 was the year of NIL, right? That was the year the NIL era kind of started. So I think the biggest, I don't know, if we're going to say like, Taryn, are you like a ringer guy? Are you a Bill Simmons guy? Rewatchables uh, guy? Not so much but I like him. Simmons has this concept. They do uh, this, this podcast called The Rewatchables and they rewatch a movie and they say at that point in time, was it the actors, what they call the, his uh, apex mountain or his or her apex mountain. So I think that the, where people cared the most about NIL was probably July 1st of 2021. And I don't think we've hit the, you know, maybe the, the heights of NIL. So I think it's, I mean, it's obviously the biggest story in college sports. We're not at the unionization era or anything like that. But I think, I don't know if I'm picking nits here, Taryn, I think last year, I think NIL might have been bigger. I mean, in terms of like, you know, making tidal waves through the space, I think it's kind of like maybe started to level out, maybe normalize a little bit. Am I crazy? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely insane. There's nothing normal about what we're seeing. The lack of leadership at every single level of college sports right now has prevented any sort of, of common set of rules. Nobody is following a set of rules. There are these vague guidelines that have been given out by the NCAA. And I think that this year, 
2022 is the year that we saw the rise of the collectives and all of these different sort of entities that are pushing towards getting involved in this space in a way that they weren't able to in 2021, in a way that wasn't fleshed out in 2021. And so while collective consciousness, national consciousness of NIL might have been at an all-time high when the interim policy was released in July of 2021, I think that the effects of that decision are being felt now, and that's what makes it the biggest story of this year. I'm going to take Dan's lead a little bit here and push back a little bit more. I think Evan alluded to it just a little bit, but I think the fact that there's still no federal law governing NIL kind of says it all. You know, there's still so many ifs, ands, and buts about the situation that's going on. All different states are implementing different laws. There is no real consensus here. And I think we may or may not see that in 2023. But for that reason, and the fact that 2021 was really the initial start of NIL and 2022 was more so just a continuation of it, everyone is trying to more clearly define you know, what you can and cannot do. I think 2023, maybe it'll end up being the biggest story of the year. But for 2022, it's just not cutting it for me. But I think, you know, good effort, Taryn. Good effort. I'll give you that. I think what we more saw this year was the rise of the collectives in the NIL space and the issues that kind of arose with collectives between, you know, Texas and Florida and and things happening there. I, I think, it's still, uh, you know, it's too much of the wild, wild west still. There's there's no, I mean, so much so that we have Mark Emmert stepping down because he couldn't even handle it because he can't even do anything about it. So they can't even come up with any sort of agreement on what they want this NIL space to even look like, let alone have any sort of federal legislation. Like Steph said, it was mostly just a stagnant year. We just saw kind of the culmination of what happened in 2021 now kind of rolling into 2022. And there's no definite certainty to what the future holds for NIL. I will say that I agree that 2021 was the earthquake and this is the biggest shockwave. And I think that that's what makes it the biggest story of 2022. The increased money that's at stake, the rise of the collectives, and that this is the first full recruiting and retention cycle that we've seen. And not to mention the number of coaches that have either moved on or are jumping from job to job because the NIL situation is better. And the players too with the transfer portal. You add that in with the transfer portal and you see the players jumping ship. Of course. Taryn, I guess you're giving up the point that easily. I think the consensus seems to be there are other shoes yet to drop in the NIL world. So there will be subsequent years. We haven't seen what Charlie Baker is going to be up to. We haven't seen the NIL enforcement, the you know NCAA enforcement, the federal bill. I think we're getting to a bigger NIL year, but I think it's a, a formidable foe. Let's see what else is out there. Okay, but you did defend it pretty well. So Evan, Steph, Mike, any takers to go next year? Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Okay, Evan, you are number two, head editor of Conduct Detrimental. What do you got for us? Yeah, so I got a bit of a dark horse one, and I am ready to defend it. And I do think the biggest sports story is Magnus Carlsen accusing Hans Niemann of cheating via means that we've never seen before. And then Hans Niemann subsequently suing him for $100 million, accusing him of defamation. So for those who don't know. Hold on. Dramatic, dramatic pause. This is a real answer you're giving us. This is a real answer. And I'm going to explain why. It's going to seem silly, but I'm going to explain why. For those unaware, Magnus Carlsen is a chess player, and he's arguably the greatest chess player in the history of chess. He played against a good player, but nowhere near a true world champion, uh, Hans Niemann, and lost. 
And this is unprecedented in this kind of level. Someone as low as Hans Niemann does not beat someone like Magnus Carlsen, who had been consistently world champion for years. So Magnus Carlsen responded and said he was cheating via a device uh, inserted in certain areas. And that's as far as I'm going to get into it. And the suggestion was that he had been cheating previously and online and on streams. He had admitted to cheating. So Magnus was already suspicious going in. The loss confirmed this for him. And then Neiman responded to that, claiming that his allegations are defamation and sued him for $100 million. He sued Magnus Carlson, Chess.com, and Chess.com's owner. And the reason that this is such a big story, and I know that chess is not basketball, it's not football, it's not baseball, it's not an American pastime that we've grown up with. But for someone like Magnus Carlson to lose, it's like if you put LeBron James in a one-on-one with Buddy Bayheim, and Buddy Bayheim beats <laughs> him by 20. I mean, all respect to Buddy Bayheim, but hey, there's a huge gap in skill. What are shots of Syracuse for? <laughs> I'm a Syracuse guy, but I mean, let's be honest here. Buddy Bayheim and LeBron James, there's a big... Uh, Buddy Buckets. Yeah, he's, play defense. Yeah, so I mean, you know, this is just an unbelievable thing. Cheating at this level, it's like if someone deflated footballs in a Super Bowl, you know, that's a that's a big deal. It's a, a worldwide thing. Chess is a big deal outside of just the core sports world. Okay, the problem, Evan. The question is the biggest sports law story of 2022. I don't have the answer to what I'm about to ask you, but maybe you do. I think soccer or football is our the biggest global sport. So if you gave us a World Cup topic or like just a general, you know, soccer slash football topic, whatever it is, you can make an argument that's the biggest sports law story. Where does chess rank on like the I don't do we even call chess a sport? Where, oh, where does come chess, on. chess is, is a chess sport. a sport? Chess is, is it, absolutely a sport. Is it a chess, sport? Does it chess was definitely on ESPN the Ocho, right? That's definitely <laughs> does it involve chess, a, do, do we call poker a sport? Poker's on ESPN. Chess is the buddy Bayheim of professional sports. <laughs> wow. Is, uh, wow. When you compare it to something like NIL with college sports, or you know, if we talk about the NFL, like those would be LeBron James, Kevin Durant. And chess is Buddy Bayheim, or maybe his younger brother that played at Cornell. His name is Jimmy Bayheim. Whatever. Right. The vast Jimmy majority Bayheim. of our listeners, like there's that expression we we sometimes use it here. The tree falls in a forest and no one's around to hear it. Does it make a sound? If there is a giant controversy in the chess world and no one cares about chess, does anybody care about it, Evan? I pose that I mean, to hey, you. Dan, listen, you know. Younger people are more aware of like streaming and stuff. And chess is one of the biggest things on Twitch. 1.4 million hours watched just this week. Chess on Twitch. Okay. It is a very big thing for younger people. So I know it's not on NBC and CBS on Sunday nights, but it's a big deal. I mean, this is like, this is if LeBron comes out and he's been cheating for 20 years. I mean, this is something huge. You know, that (laughs) young, that young hip sport. Chess. And All the young kids are doing it. If Lance Armstrong was cheating. The only reason that this was a big that. story was not that he cheated, but how he cheated. More there people you go. left out it, the best part. It, more people were interested in the fact that the way he was cheating, not the fact that he cheated. Yeah. People could care less. But Evan, Evan, I have the million dollar question here. Do you or do you not even know how to play chess. I am actually a 1400 ELO on chess.com, Steffi. I don't know what that is, but it sounds I don't know fancy. if that's good or bad either. Sounds like a big number. He's making up things. <laughs> well, now we know why you picked it as your number one story. I think to Mike's point, 
How about this, Evan? I have a question for you. Let's do a little bit of a hypothetical. Who is the alleged cheater? Neiman is the cheater, correct? Yeah. Let's say Neiman came out and just admitted to the dastardly act. How did you explain it? He was accused of inserting things inside other things. Is that how you yeah. said it? Yeah. Let's say, and people can people can Google it. I was telling it to my, uh, Stephanie was uh, at the class uh, at, at York Law School and I was explaining it and I'm like, I am certainly not going to say the allegation. You guys can certainly look it up. But let's say Hans Neiman admitted to it. And word, you know, dare I say he was caught in the act somehow. I think this would rise up the rankings, but he's denying it. He's denying that's true. And he's, he's, you know, you said a hundred million dollar defamation. He's saying it's a bogus claim. So to Mike's point, if that turns out not to be true, the, the fun part of it, I don't know. I don't even think this is like on a top 15, top 20. I think we come I mean, up hey, with they, 20 they, more they stories. Start- they did start waving metal detectors on his body now when he enters chess tournaments. And he had admitted to cheating in the past. So, I mean, this is not just like a run-of-the-mill, I lost, I'm, I'm jealous, I lost, I'm going to accuse him of cheating. This is a known thing. I don't know how they got the evidence that the thing was in there, but, I mean, it couldn't have come out of nowhere. That's a, a crazy claim to just make up. Without saying where it is, what is the thing? Is it alleged to just be like some type of sensor of some sort? Vibrating device to communicate moves. I am so just, I'll choose my words very wisely here. I'm not really sure I understand how this device functions. It is what it is. Let's just say, let's say there was the version of the Mary Jo White report or the Beth Wilkinson report into this thing being inserted in the thing and it came out to be true. Yes, I think it's certainly up there, but little little premature guys anybody else want to make fun of evan's selection for biggest story of the year i think the fishing story might arguably be even better than the chess story oh putting weights down a fish's mouth is nowhere near as fun as the other allegations you know what you know what they're not that different when you phrase it that way they're not that they're not that different things are being put in places okay so evan again we'll, we'll table judgment that leaves myself stephanie mike who wants to go next the biggest sports law story of the year. I guess I will uh, take the reins here, even though uh, after you hear what my best story of 2023 is, I think you may reconsider and think that you should have saved the best for last. (laughs) All right. My story is none other than the Washington Commanders, Dan Snyder saga. Let me, let me paint the picture for you guys. Not only has this team only had two playoff game victories since Snyder bought the team in 1999. They've undergone three different names for the team. And on top of that is the subject of the fact that it's the best story of 2023, which is this never-ending series of scandals and investigations, which most recently we found might almost end fairly soon because the team has officially been put up for sale and the first round of bidding actually closed yesterday, I believe it was. So let me just start start out and say, Dan Snyder has always had a questionable, questionable ownership history. And it all started in 2020 when the Washington Post's first story was released. 15 female former employees alleged that they were sexually harassed during their time working for the team. The Redskins at the time retained attorney Beth Wilkinson's firm to conduct an independent investigation. And shortly after that announcement, the club then rebranded to Washington football team because a few weeks earlier, prominent sponsors of the club called on the team to finally give up its name Redskins, something that Snyder had previously said he'd never done. So that's already loss number one for Snyder there, doing something that he said he would never do, along with these 
very, very extremely unprofessional and inappropriate allegations. Later on, a few months later, we had another bombshell report by the Washington Post. More examples of workplace misconduct came out and allegations that Snyder himself was personally involved, including longtime executive Larry Michael, who under the direction of Snyder had inappropriate videos of team cheerleaders made for Snyder. Not only that, but minority owners then sued Snyder in order to allow them to sell the shares of the team. Ultimately, then Snyder bought out the minority owners and gave his family 100% ownership of the team, which I think was kind of the catalyst of really everything that happened this year. So after the Wilkinson investigation was concluded in the end of 2021, they were fined only $10 million, no written report was released. And then I think we all know what happened over this course of this year. Uh, we now have several lawsuits against the team and Snyder. We also have Snyder finally putting the team up for sale. It hasn't officially been announced whether he's going to be selling just a portion of it. But I mean, based on everything that's come out so far and all of the backlash that he's gotten, I think it's fair to say that no one really wants to see him remain in ownership of the team. And it's likely that one of these five to seven bids are going to be for the entirety of the team, especially after we saw the, the billion dollar price of the Suns. We can only imagine that it's probably going to be even higher than that. So, I mean, I'm pretty much saying that there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it, but the fact that all of these years of scandals of Snyder culminated in what is now him going to be selling the team is pretty much, you know, the best story of 2023. And I think not only my eyes, but probably the public eyes too, and Commander's fans' eyes, because I think it's fair to say that no one really wants to see him remain the owner and you know it's not like he's ever done anything good for the team and they haven't made it to the playoffs in a while so I don't know if you guys have any arguments against that go for it but I don't think there's very many I would just like to admit to the evidence that the party has admitted you know her own admission that this was going to be the largest story of 2023 because it's rolling over into 2023 I believe said that this is the largest story of 2023 however we're making the argument of what the largest story of 2022 is so by your own admission i believe you have just removed yourself from the uh, the voting no what i said was <laughs> it's the best story of 2022 because he's officially selling the team but the actual sale is going to run over in 2023 but the first round of bidding just ended this is 2022 so i think it's fair to say that you know this is really the time of the best story because everything culminated in this announcement and all of these bids coming forward. The bids were made in 2022. They're looking over them now. I mean, everything that's happened this year has really, really not put him in a good spot. I'm sorry, Ms. Weisenberger, did you or did you not just say that because the sale would be complete in 2023, it would make it the biggest story of 2023? No, I said that. Did you or did you not? A story, (laughs) but the fact that the bids... And the announcement that was made this year, based on all the backlash that he's gotten, including all the backlash that the NFL has gotten, including all the backlash that he's even gotten from team owners, it's reported that team owners now finally are saying they want him out. I think it's fair to say that it's the biggest story of 2022. I'm going to need you've made order to read back the transcript. You've made your point, counselor. You've made your point. Taryn, what do you have here? Mike the Bulldog Lawson in there. Steph. 
if it doesn't come to a conclusion though, and he says like, oh, I'm just going to take on a couple of minority owners. Does that mean that all of this was more or less for not? Is it a big story because we think that, you know, you and I are both Washington fans that control might be wrested from Snyder's cold hands, or is it a big story because of what has happened? I think it's a big story because of what has happened and what has resulted from that. We have all of these different lawsuits. The Congress has gotten involved this year. White's um, The investigations by White and Congress were just recently released. The findings came out. Congress released that, I believe it was 50-some pages report that also, ah, this is, this is really something that I should have mentioned. Remember the John Gruden case? I believe our very own Dan Lust found something within the congressional report that was recently released that basically says those text messages that are that got John Gruden fired were from the commanders, which I think only just adds on top of this never-ending saga, which we're finally starting to see a conclusion in 2022. But Steph, isn't it possible that this isn't even the biggest NFL story of the year? Couldn't it slide in after Deshaun Watson? I will give you some credit on that one. Deshaun Watson is has actually culminated in an, an actual ending. So, you know, I, I will give you some credit for that one. But I still think just based on the fact that the past two years have literally just been nonstop with Dan Snyder and the Washington football team, now the Washington Commanders. Uh, I forgot to mention that they really botched the name reveal for the Commanders. Not only that, but I don't think the public was or the fans were very happy with the Commanders' name. I, you know, my personal opinion, I think it should have just kept the Washington football team name. But you know, I mean, I do have to give you some credit on that one. And uh, I, why I are you giving up so easily, Steph? Why are you just giving everybody points? You're supposed to defend I mean, your point. I know. I'm an honest person, though. And he does make a good point with the Deshaun Watson story. You know, Steph, you know, I I have to kind of circle back here because you guys, you guys killed my chess story because there has been no conclusion. I mean, (laughs) nothing's gone on with Dan Snyder yet. The team's not sold. He's still the owner. He's sitting there. There's a lot of talk, but nothing's gone on. I mean, can we really consider that two years going and we have nothing yet? I don't know. That's a tough one to say. That's the biggest sports story. Evan, what is the definition of nothing for you? Well, he's still got the team. He's still the owner. He's got a lot of, a lot of figure this out for a second. Wait, Steph, you said something. We have not reported this on the podcast at all. Steph, the the bids closed as of Friday, right? As of, as of today, as we're recording this. Correct. I believe the report is that there were five to seven out there. But we don't have any assurances to Terrence's point that he's actually selling 100% of the team, correct? We don't have any concrete evidence, but we do have circumstantial evidence, which sometimes leads you to the ultimate outcome of a case. Okay, you're off the hot seat. I feel like you're you're ready to cave on this point. I think, to Steph, to your point, different than the first two stories, actually... Like for the chess story, no one no one has ever thought that ever, anyone would ever be accused of cheating by putting something in someone, right? But for the NIL era, to Terrence's point earlier, people have been waiting 60, 70 years for college athletes to get paid. People have been waiting decades, I'd say, right? 20, when did when Snyder take over? 2000, 99, right around there? 99, so yeah. People have been waiting 20 years for Dan Snyder to sell the team. So it's it's a mounting, and I think we were so close to having like the year, the, the the this kind of fully encapsulated year where Snyder could have been forced out. But I I think 
I think to uh, Mike's point, we caught you in that kind of Freudian slip. 2023 might be the year. We still haven't even got that Mary Jo White report, which is going to be a scathing, scathing report. So you're off the hot seat. Evan, I'm being told per sources that you have prior obligations tonight. I will say, Evan, before I pitch to you, I'll let you have your two cents. The Conduct Detrimental Fantasy League is uh, us 12 uh, people, right? What did we do? 12? We had 10. I think we had 12. 12, 12 yeah. I think so. 12. We had different. You know, different people that, that uh, you know, we, we have our little core conduct team. Finals, Evan, you and I. Evan, do you have any last words before I just like, just outscore you by 100 points this weekend? Yeah, I mean, so I just want to congratulate my own fantasy team. It was a hard fought year. Uh, made a pivotal <laughs> trade, Miles Sanders for Terry McLaurin. That ended up being the matchup winner against the person I traded for last week. So couldn't be prouder. We've been an underdog all season, slid in in the last week to get into playoffs. And here we are in the finals against the juggernaut. Underdog story. Everyone loves it. Uh, Derek Henry against the Texans is going to kill me, though. Yeah, I mean, it's been a great year for conduct. You know, I've gotten close with all you guys on the team. It's been really nice to be a part of this and uh, to be ingrained in sports law. Yeah, thanks for having me today. So I checked the numbers. We have about getting close to a thousand total posts on the site, which is a crazy, crazy number. Evan, you've done a great job. Evan, I'm giving you our our first award. We're going to have a our awards coming out. We're going to announce them in January for those that apply. But our first unofficial award, Evan, you are the Conduct Detrimental Rookie of the Year. Oh, You've done a great you. job this year. Done a great you. job. Evan, get out of here. Go have fun with your girlfriend. Go have a life. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. Happy holidays. Get out, out of here. Okay. So then there were then there were four of us. Mike, you're the last one. I'll save mine for last. It might have already been mentioned. Ahem, Deshaun Watson. But uh, Mike, let's see if you can uh, convince some people here. I do just want to put one more thing on the record that that Taryn also admitted that him and Steph are have a bias because they are <laughs> Commanders fans. So I just want to. Hey, hey, hey! I never said I was Commanders fan. That has been a false rumor that has been circulating this podcast. That's pretending since... she's a Giants fan. I, when did I that happen? I am a Giants fan. Since when? Like this year? Yeah. No, since I've grown up. My dad is from Long Island. My brother and I were big Giants fans. Everyone knows the Giants are going to the Super Bowl this year. Have you seen them play? Long Island people like the Jets. That doesn't yeah, make sense. nothing. It doesn't make sense. I don't sense. believe yeah. that. So I have a massive story here. This this is definitely the largest story of, of 2022. Again, we're not, we're we're we were talking about stories that have concluded, right? I don't think that, that that's necessarily a factor here. This is just one that was definitely mind-blowing. It started in 2022, unlike Dan Snyder starting in 2021. So this is a matter, uh, the Brian Flores racial discrimination class action lawsuit against the NFL. This was so big, actually, that you know I actually went to a class action conference in New York to speak on this. Dan and I were supposed to speak on it, but Dan, unfortunately, was sick. So uh, I, I was able to go. And, and this is this is huge. I mean, let me just give the overarching 50,000 foot view first, and then we'll talk about some of the minutia facts that have made this such a, a, a massive story here. So ultimately what happens is Brian Flores is a co- head coach for the Miami Dolphins for three seasons. He's 24 and 25 in those three seasons, but the final two seasons were winning record seasons. He was 10 and six, I think in 2020, and I think nine and eight in 2021. He gets fired by the Dolphins. And then he has a series of interviews with a number of different teams, uh, which are within the lawsuit as well. I think one of the most blasphemous allegations that he made, not that the allegation was blasphemous, but the conduct was blasphemous, was he accused John Elway uh, of the Broncos and another exec from showing up late to their interview and being intoxicated and kind of just like fumbling over their words. And it, it just felt like it was 
an immoral interview and he, he just didn't get a good feeling about it. Then he interviews with the Giants for their head coaching position and Bill Belichick shoots him a text and is like, hey, heard you got the job. Like, congrats. But he was actually meaning to send that text to Brian Dabble, not Brian Flores. So I, I know Belichick, we we talked about this on the podcast. Belichick doesn't speak for the Giants, and, and that was kind of silly. But still, very interesting that, you know, this was that text also was before he even interviewed with the Giants. So it kind of blew up in that case. But we have these sham interviews with the Texans. So it's it's also not just Brian Flores, right? So we have Ray Horton and Steve Wilkes as well. And their accusations of sham interviews with, I think it was the Texans. We have the Dolphins, the Broncos, the Giants, the Titans. There's a whole slew of teams. But what the culmination of this was is if we go all the way back to 2003, we have the Rooney Rule that was put in place that required teams to interview for head coaching and coaching positions for minority and, and black coaches. And that has not really developed since then. You know, I mean, since if you go all the way back since 89, there's been 191 different head coaches, 24 of which have been black. Currently, we only have three head coaches who are black in the NFL. There were five, but two were fired in the last couple of years. David Culley with the Texans, Brian Flores with the Dolphins. But now we have Ron Rivera with the aforementioned commanders, Mike Tomlin with the Steelers, who is now where Brian Flores is the assistant coach for, and Robert Sala with the Jets here. So I'm going to hit one final point here before, you know, why this is the biggest story. The other piece of this from this class action lawsuit that was brought forth is Brian Flores kind of slid an allegation in there that the reason that his relationship with Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, was so poor was that Stephen Ross was offering him $100,000 to throw games. That's massive that he was going to throw games in the NFL and that he was going to lose so they can get better draft picks and all this stuff and, and, and whatnot. So that was the, the what he kind of cited to their bad relationship. But, 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 what this downfall has, this domino effect here, Tom Brady was retired from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady, Michigan alum, Stephen Ross, Michigan alum, they were very close. Tom Brady was going to go to the Dolphins and be this kind of player GM capacity that was still kind of developing. After that allegation was made, Tom Brady pulls the plug on that Dolphins deal, goes back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is playing now for, for them in 2022, and has a divorce with Giselle. So this domino effect of everything that happened from this lawsuit is just unbelievable. And we still have the class action that's happening, as well as the arbitration clause, because now we have an arbitration that's supposed to go in front of Goodell, who speaks for the owners. And this is a lawsuit against the owners for racial discrimination. So they don't want to go towards arbitration. So it's got so many different facets of the arbitration clause within the NFL, the bias of Goodell being the arbitrator of the NFL. It's just a massive, massive story. Hey, Mike, I have a question for you. Didn't you just say that the class action is ongoing and there's still an arbitration to happen? So this wow. this, story, this lawsuit didn't conclude. I didn't say conclude. We, we, we talking about, I'm, there's no conclusion here. I, I just said that. I let off. That was my first point, that that's not a piece of this. It started in 2022. Started. Right, 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 right. But is the start more important than the conclusion? Based on your analysis of mine and Taryn's, it sounds like... 
you may or may not be going against your own word here. I was simply pointing out that you said because your own story had not concluded yet that you thought that it was going to be a 2023 biggest story. That I was just what, using your what own goes word. around comes back around, Mike. You were taking notes. We saw what you were doing. Stephanie caught you, Mike. I have I have an interesting one. I mean, I think you've kind of hit the nail here. There's some people that could say, right, and I can see this argument being made that there have been this kind of underlying racist tones in the NFL for years, and somebody finally did something about it, that that in and of itself could be the biggest sports story of the year. Someone could make an argument, right, that what Colin Kaepernick did is maybe the biggest story in the last 20 years. And this is maybe, I don't know, maybe the the next biggest allegation on that front since Colin Kaepernick. And obviously Colin Kaepernick was cited in that complaint over and over. So it's a case that started. It's a case that has not really done much right it's kind of when did it start in february of 2022 yeah february Um, and i think the last kind of update we got was in october when the plaintiffs filed a motion with the court to avoid arbitration because of the bias with roger goodell let's just say this i mean like last year we didn't do this last year but i think you could have made an argument that the st louis ram story was the biggest story of the sports league that was 2021 i want to say 95% of our sports law audience had no concept of that case up until like the two months before trial when it started ramping up. So I I think the Flores case of all the cases we've talked about so far, I think has the potential to to be the biggest, maybe NIL notwithstanding. I think it's one and two between the ones that we've spoken about, but it's hard to make the point, Mike, that it's the biggest case where like, I don't know, the lawsuit was filed. That was the big bang. Steve Wilkes tried to join the suit. They rejected those guys from joining the class action. Like, that's it. We've had like two updates since then. Yeah, I mean, you're right in terms of ongoing, but class actions are are massive, especially when you have an issue of class certification and this arbitration clause is kind of looming over their head. So yeah, it's going to take a t- take some time. When you sit down with a client and, and you talk about like litigation timeline, you're not saying this is going to happen within 12 months. It takes some time. So I think what also kind of was important about this, so the commanders was happening as all of this was happening too, because commanders started last year. But I think what was what people started to realize was that this lawsuit amidst like discovery protocols and discovery rules and things like that, this lawsuit had more potential, has more potential to actually garner specific information of what is happening within the HQs of each of these NFL teams more so than that was happening within the commanders, I feel like. And it spanned across multiple franchises instead of just the the, the finite of the commanders. And I think that's what scared the owners with, with the commanders. I mean, now you have even Dan Snyder, like threatening to throw all the owners under the bus to protect himself. But I think what happened here is because there were multiple teams that were kind of involved, the discovery issues that were going to be brought out was going to be more expansive than just the commander's report that has come out. Mike, you make some valid points, but I think it's tough to say it's more important than the commanders and more important than what I'm about to make the case for. Last but not least, Deshaun Watson. Okay, I have a couple of dates for you guys. March 2021. 2021. That's when we have the first Deshaun Watson allegations. So for nine months, leading all the way to December of 2021, nothing happens with Watson. We're like, wasn't the FBI kind of investigating this? Like, there's no criminal charges. Like, what's going on? And to Mike, to the point we just talked about with Brian Flores, yeah, there were civil cases, but... I don't, we, there was really no movement in terms of depositions, anything like this. So it was a lot of kind of like hurry up and wait on Watson. And no teams wanted to trade for him at last year's trade deadline. So the Panthers were involved. The Dolphins were involved. 
So we had a lot of buildup. And again, if we had played this game last year, I think we would say that 2022 is looking like the year of Deshaun Watson. And I don't know, kind of was, right? March of 2022, people remember, that is when the grand jury comes back and there was all these reports like, is Watson going to get released? Could he get charged with the felony? And then the grand jury clears Watson. We've spent so much time talking about this. And what happens once the grand jury comes back and cleared Watson? He got traded to the Cleveland Browns. Then we weren't sure if he was going to get suspended because he never got put on the commission's exempt list. And all of a sudden, the NFL is now kind of prosecuting Watson for conduct detrimental, you know, to the interest of the league. So we had the whole, uh, you know, Peter Harvey hearings and uh, Judge Sue Robinson stuff. And then what happens, you know, uh, around August, Watson gets suspended for the first 11 weeks of the season. He just came back about a week or two ago. So we kind of had the real bulk of the Watson case all within 2022. But that's not it. If we're looking for forward-looking things, I have a number for you, right? Is $230 million. So in addition to kind of this kind of self-contained Watson era, Deshaun Watson now has a 100% guaranteed contract. The $230 million guaranteed is the highest guarantee that is 100% guaranteed in NFL history. And it's now causing ripple effects in the NFL world still because Lamar Jackson hasn't signed. Kyler Murray got a higher number because of what Watson got, and that contract looks terrible. Russell Wilson got a higher number because of what Watson got. That contract looks terrible. And they're going to be NFL players moving forward. They're going to say, hey, Watson got that contract. He was potentially going to be suspended by the league. There were still civil lawsuits against him at that point in time. There were 24. If that guy can get it, and I'm a better player than him, and I don't have any of that baggage, why can't I get it? So the Watson case is, yes, very important for what the Watson case represents. But for the history of NFL contracts, Watson's going to have a lasting impact. So the guy that really rewrote the book on guaranteed contracts was Deshaun Watson. So I don't know. You'd be hard-pressed. I'm Listen, you guys... I'll take it from all angles. Whoever wants to try to knock this point down, I think it's going to be very hard to argue. You're making the argument that it's the biggest story because of guaranteed money, not because of the allegations that happened. Because of both, Mike. I got two. I got two levels here. I don't know. I I think Watson, you also admitted it, started in 2021. I think 2022 was the final chapter of Watson. And now he's, he's back playing in the NFL. And who knows if he even lasts the duration. I mean, the guaranteed money is the big deal, but who who knows if he even lasts the duration of that contract. I think why, I'm going to help your point for a second. I think why this is a, one of the massive, most massive cases out of 2022 was that this was being followed by everyone. I mean, it, it, it wasn't just, I mean, there you talked about the Rams issue, like the Rams lawsuit, like not, not many people knew about it. I think with the Flores lawsuit, people kind of knew about it and they thought it was, you know, very eye-opening. Same thing with the commanders. I think the commanders had this kind of eye-opening effect where it's like, what was going on in this? Like, why haven't they done anything about this? Same thing that was happening with Robert Sarver and the um, the Suns, right? Like, just these blasphemous things that were occurring. I think that's what was happening with Watson. And then when Watson got the massive contract with Cleveland, everyone was like, why are they paying him this much money when there are open cases against him? For sexual assault and and it didn't make sense so i think that was why so many eyeballs w- were being put towards it but again i i just can't see why watson's you know the culmination of his story in 2022 you know it's still kind of an open chapter too because we still do have you know different allegations that are floating out there different lawsuits against him so who knows what happens in the future with watson too 
I think it could have been the largest story if there were some sort of ramifications for the Texans. I think that the biggest part of that story, which has been completely overlooked, is that the Texans not only provided the NDA to Deshaun Watson to give to these masseuses that he was using outside of the team facility, but also that they had that room at him for at the at the Houstonian Hotel. And and just nothing happened to the Texans. So if something had happened to them, if they had had to sacrifice some sort of draft picks, pay a heavy fine, something like that, I think it could have been the biggest story. But in my opinion, it really fell short of that. Ultimately, we ended up with the violations of the personal conduct policy. Watson paid out his fine. He missed 11 games. Is that like big enough to be the the biggest story when really a bulk of it happened in 2021? In my opinion, NIL, I think, still beats the Watson uh, case out because it was decades and decades building up to players being able to take advantage of their name, image, and likeness in a way that they never were before. And Watson, I think, really just falls a little bit short. We already know that pro sports leagues have a long history of not holding the teams in Houston accountable. So, uh, All right. Ooh, Astros jokes. I like that. It's true. That was good. Yeah, I mean, Taryn, first of all, fantastic point with the fact that the Texans didn't get any punishment whatsoever. I almost forgot that they were the ones that provided him with the NDA, set up the hotel for him. So they clearly, it seems like at least, knew exactly what was going on. But I mean, I still think, Dan, like Taryn was saying, and like Mike was saying, the things that happened really started in 2021. That's when the bulk of it was. And just because of the process, everything kind of all started closing at this point. But still, there's that one remaining lawsuit that's still set to go to trial. That has not been resolved yet. And at the end of the day, the commanders are still the biggest thing to happen in 2023 based on all of the buildup since 1999, since Snyder has owned the team, stemming all the way back to when he sued the old woman for not paying her season tickets during a recession. I think it's safe to say that Dan Snyder, Commanders, the team is finally up for sale. I'd call that a win in 2022. And I think that this is just the biggest story of 2022. And Watson may or may not have been a story in 2022 but not the biggest by any means before we close just a one-up step that was talking about <laughs> you guys are so like hostile towards each other what's going on put, here? put, put four lawyers on a, in a zoom what are they gonna do <laughs> Steph saying since 1999 since you know you know snyder owned the commanders the brian flores lawsuit was since like 1950 that they've had issues with racial discrimination in hiring coaches. And since 1989, like 19% of coaches that have been hired have been black. So I think there's there's been a lot larger of a buildup for racial discrimination lawsuits against the NFL than Dan Snyder and the commanders. But I digress. Okay. What we're gonna do is this. We're gonna put the we're gonna put this up to a vote on our social media platforms whenever this goes out, and we'll be an official winner. Obviously, on I think in both Twitter and Instagram, you can only have a poll of four. So one of the options is gonna have to be eliminated. Okay, everyone on the count of uh three, let's say the one that has to be eliminated. One, two, three, chess. 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 Sorry, Evan, chess is out. That is not being put in the poll. We'll put this in the books. I want to give a big thanks to Dan Wallach. Dan started the platform back in 2016 with Dan Worley. 
So we have been beating this drum of sports law. I mean, listen, we are at the forefront of sports law. There's obviously we have a lot of friends in the space, but there is no site like ours with, you know, young lawyers, law students, pre-law students, senior lawyers, partners. You know, I'm I'm a professor. I'm on the site. Like th- there's no community of sports law that exists on a site like this. Yes, there are good sites like Sports Lawyers Association. I can give you a couple, but never where everyone is empowered to contribute in an equal manner. So I love that we have kind of created this hub for uh, free, you know, for, for free. We have the jobs, uh, courtesy of Matt Haig. We have news, courtesy of Hannah Valente and John Azato. We have a whole kind of production team now with uh, with Justin Mater, Zach Bryson, Mike, you're heading that, and obviously Holly Thomas with you, Taryn. You know, so we, we've got a nice family going. Jason, obviously, is now taking over social. Hopefully, I'm not forgetting anybody. Conlon does his good job with his betting picks. Oh, Conlon, 10-3-1. I hate, I hate that he's winning. but And then outside of like our core kind of like logistical team, we got some of the best writers. You know, we got uh, Matt Timpanic, resident DA, Brandon Bell, are like the smartest pre-law student now. Landis, we got some good people writing for us. So yeah, we got some big things in store for 2023, you know, but we'll keep it under wraps for now. But thank you to everybody over there. Yeah, and we have a great group, but I think I speak for everyone when I say that we're always trying to add more writers, more people that are interested in, in working on some of the logistic things. I know that I'm always looking for people to help with the uh, with the newsletter. So anybody who's interested, whether you're a lawyer or not, if you have any interest in this uh, in this area, uh, you should um, reach out to us. Yeah, and going off of what you said, Taryn, you know, website, we've undergone some changes as of recently. Do you have any suggestions or any features that you would like to see added? Feel free to DM us on Twitter, send us an email, and we'd be happy to look into kind of adding them. We want to keep building this sports law community. And so we're doing this for you guys, and we're doing this because we enjoy sports law. And so any suggestions that you have, always feel welcome to provide them. And just like we are looking forward to the Conduct Detrimental 2023, you know, the future of this podcast and this show and and our uh, all of our social media platforms, I think what's exciting now is, you know, what the predictions are for the largest story of 2023 in, in sports law. You know, what what is going to be the, the biggest sports law story in 2023? Dan, you're, you're, you're pointing yourself. I'm ready. I'm ready. I know what the answer is. Okay, you ready for this? We'll keep it tight. Oof, I'll embody my my fellow Dan Wallach here. Sports betting issues, okay? No, I'm not talking about sports betting legislation. Right before we hit record of this, Miles Austin, the Jets wide receivers coach, got uh, suspended for a year for betting. Yasiel Puig betting. Calvin Ridley, I guess that was 2021. We are now in the age where it is so easy to place a bet from your phone. The temptation to bet seems to be as high as it's been. So I, I am predicting, listen, we can keep the tape of this. I am predicting some very big. Oh, we have the we have the UFC betting saga. You know, we have people coming out to talk about that. I think we're going to have a very big sports betting, uh, we'll say controversy when it comes to 2023. That is my that is my prediction. I'm going to double down on that just because I also that was what I was going to say. But I'm going to add to the fact. That, <laughs> sure, sure, that's what you're about to say, Mike. Well, sure. I, it's it's actually a combination because I, I think what Taryn was was trying to make the argument that the biggest story of 2022 was. I think NIL kind of coupled with sports betting is is going to be an issue because now we're seeing NIL deals pop up in states coupled with states who allow gambling on college athletics. So I think we might run into some issues here, potentially, potentially uh, of NIL and sports gambling kind of butting heads. Miles Austin has fallen so far from the summer of 2010 when he dated Kim Kardashian. 
That's tough. Maybe Kim Kardashian. I didn't know that. Yes. My biggest story, I alluded to it earlier. I think that we're going to get some movement on the uh, employment status of student athletes. And once we get that, that that is the largest disruption to the uh, college sports space that could possibly happen. So I think that is something to look forward to in 2023. Yeah, and my biggest 2023 story, I just have a funny feeling that there may or may not be a checkers cheating scandal coming up in 2023. (laughs) Perhaps it's going to involve, I don't know, maybe some betting. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe chess and checkers and fishing will be added to sports betting platforms. Maybe platforms will start expanding the different types of offerings because they see how much money has gone into it. And then, you know, of course, there's always the... uh, NIL that is probably going to take over 2023. I do have to agree with that as well. Jeff already, Jeff already said that the commander's sale was going to be the biggest story. She did. She did say that. <laughs> Guys, do you know what Evan's uh, ELO scores and checkers? It's a lot. 1,400. It is, it is a lot. <laughs> Steph, I thought you were going to say Snyder. I think Snyder. I think that's probably right up there with the biggest story in 2023. If we're making odds, you know, Mike and I are kind of going, uh, you know, we're forecasting a little bit. Snyder's got to be the favorite for biggest story of 2023. And whether or not not something happens to him, like liability wise, like criminal, criminal, criminal liability, there's the investigation that's going on in Virginia. I mean, there's a lot that could happen to Dan Snyder in 2023. Taryn just did the, Taryn just did the Brian Windhorst move. He's got something. Taryn, Taryn has got something. (laughs) No, I hope so. I I would love to see uh, some accountability there. Yeah, and I believe the attorney general has already said that if Snyder's not the owner of the team anymore, it doesn't mean the lawsuit's going away. They're not dropping that thing. So he better watch out. And I think I also saw somewhere that there may or may not be trying to get the bids in place, um, or at least the one that he would like to accept in place before the next NFL owners meeting or something like that. But we'll see. I think Snyder is, is a big one. But it'll be second year in a row because it's also the biggest story of 2022. I have one, one, Taryn, this might be for you. How realistic that the is it that the SEC secedes from the NCAA in the next five years? Oh, like the Power Five becomes its own thing? Under yeah, the they, they're just outside of the NCAA. They don't exist anymore. I've been saying that forever. I think all the conferences are going to No, but, but within five years. I'm not going to say within a year. I think five years is yeah, realistic. Five. Yeah, that's what I said. I think, it is NCAA, I think the NCAA as a whole will cease to exist in the next five years. I think if someone wanted to be bold, they could say like a year, but that's a little bit too bold. They just just got Charlie Baker. Okay, listen, big things to come for sports law. We appreciate being on this ride with us. 2022 is a great great year for all of us so i think that'll about do it so guys let's go around the horn final words for 2022 mike i just appreciate everything i i think to see where we started i don't know what our downloads were at the beginning of the year but I, we've done a lot this year uh, we just hit we talked about it in the last episode we hit over 300,000 downloads total we've had a really really awesome year i think we've expanded our team which is wonderful you you gave everyone a shout uh, our website is 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 moving forward. I, I think everything is just, we keep growing and I really appreciate, you know, being a part of this team and everyone gave shout outs to everyone else. But at, at the same time, we also have to take note and give a shout out to Dan Lust too, because without his craziness of being everywhere at once, you know, he's in Nebraska and Harvard at the same time. This, this wouldn't really be possible. So I will take that insult. I appreciate it, Mike. Taryn, last words. I'll, I'll bring us home. Taryn, what do you got? Yeah. Grateful to you, Dan. Grateful to our our group and hopeful for another year of continued growth and my first full year as a real lawyer. So thanks.
Yeah, just to echo that as well, it's been a great year, but I have a feeling 2023 is going to be even better. We have a lot in store and we're excited for what's to come. So we hope you continue to support us. We appreciate you and looking forward to 2023. Happy holidays. Here's my ask to everyone listening to this and all three of you that are on this with us now. You guys were once upon a time, young lawyers, young law students looking to branch out into the world of sports law. I am a big believer in paying it forward. So you never know what can come of paying it forward and being nice to people. So if you have someone in your circles that is interested in sports and maybe you have a little bit of a leg up on them, uh, it's always good to kind of help bring up the others uh, around you. So sometimes this is a lot of work. Uh, Steph, Taryn, uh, Mike, you guys are all doing stuff for conduct on a weekly basis. Obviously, I am as well. And I do it because of all the people and all the nice messages that we get on social saying that they're so happy that a site like this exists, that it never existed, you know, beforehand. So, you know, I remember when I was at 1L in law school, how much, how badly I wanted to be around this field of sports law. And this didn't exist. So if we can provide this to people once a week, twice a week, we have articles going out every single day. I don't know. I think we're doing a real service. So let's just say we don't do it for the money team. We, we, we do it for the love of the game. Okay. So that'll do it. Thank you everyone for a great year of Conic Detrimento, a great year of sports law. And to many, many, many more big occasions, we are only going straight up, straight to the moon. For Dan Wallach, myself, and all of us here at Conic Detrimental, wish you a very happy holidays and a happy new year. And we will see you next year on more episodes of Conic Detrimental.